0: The Majus Podcast, Student-Faculty Dialogues at Canisius College, is a production of the Department of Communication, offering majors in Strategic Com, Integrated Marketing Communications, Journalism, and Digital Media Arts. On this episode of The Majus Podcast, Dr. Kozlowski and Erica Joseph discuss the motivation behind why an athlete continues to perform and how they overcome injuries and adversity. Motivating Athletes and Overcoming Adversity with Dr. Carl Kozlowski
1: so, my name is Erica Joseph, and I'm a student here at Kinesius, and I'm also a player on the women's basketball team. Um, I'm from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, which is not too far away.
2: I'm Dr. Carl Kozlowski, professor in the Department of Kinesiology. Currently, I teach courses in exercise principles, kinesiology, or human motion. and I'm also the co-director of our sports and exercise healthcare program. I'm from Buffalo, New York, uh, and have been at Kinesis for 10 years now.
0: How did you get into kinesiology? Can you kind of take us through that process? You know, it's it's interesting because as a college student
2: or as a high school student, you think that you're coming into college in a given profession. And so actually, I started off coming to college as a music education major. Wow. I, yeah, I... I wanted to, to be a music teacher, and I thought that that was the career path for me, and I got one semester into music education, and I realized I absolutely hated it, and it was, it was terrible. And so I took an elective course in exercise science, and in that course, the head athletic trainer, uh, I went to the University of Buffalo, the head athletic trainer came in and, and said, if anyone is interested in getting into sports medicine or athletic training, Come by the athletic training room and you know see what it's all about. So I thought, well, that that can be interesting. I like sports. Um, I wasn't good enough to play in college, but uh, I liked I liked the idea of it. And so I went one day, and he said, okay, we're starting at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning basketball practice. Be here at 5:30. Come in and set up. And so I showed up that day, and that changed my whole perspective on what I was gonna do in college. I graduated with a bachelor's degree in coaching sciences and pursued my athletic training certification. So I was a certified athletic trainer for a while. Served uh, as an athletic trainer at UB. I worked wrestling, women's soccer, women's basketball, men's basketball, football. For about 10 years I was there and then realized that maybe it wasn't the music education but I, I still wanted to be a teacher. That's when I started to pursue my PhD in rehabilitation sciences.
1: That's like really interesting because I first started out at Canisius as a psych major and I picked up communications as a major in my sophomore year. Like I took a class with Dr. Wanzer and I just like fell in love with communications and I'm like, I still love psychology, but communications is so cool. So like I just... Took both of them, so I have two different like alleys to go through. So that's really interesting that we can relate in that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that people have to realize is that your intentions, just like you changed majors or directions, your intentions change as you grow and develop. And and really to make a decision when you're 17 years old, you know, we can all look back at to being 17 and think, gosh, we really didn't know anything at that point. So how could I know what I want to be when I'm. 25 or 30 or 50 or 60. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Obviously, kinesiology, you deal with a lot of injuries. And Erica, obviously, you're an athlete, so you know a lot about injuries as well. Have you ever had like a personal injury yourself, and how did you deal with that?
2: I've been pretty lucky. I've, I've come out unscathed from all of my athletic pursuits. I think my, my worst injury was a, was a concussion. And this was before concussions were what they are now. We used to call them bell ringers. You know, you got your bell dinged. You're seeing stars. And so there were all these terms used to downplay the severity of a concussion. And everyone asked me, so how did you, how did you get your concussion? I got my concussion in eighth grade. And, you know, I was a swimmer. How, right, how do, how do swimmers get concussions? I, I obviously wasn't a very great swimmer. <laughs> but... I literally was going for a flip turn, flipped too close to the wall, and my head went right into the wall. And I remember making the turn, we were, we were competing for the city championship in eighth grade at that point, and we were just a little bit behind the next relay team. And so I was, I was catching him, and I was getting ready to pass, and I wasn't really good at flip turns at that point, but I said, I'm going to do it now because this is where I'm going to pass him. Again, I wasn't really good at flip turns, and this is why. So I hit my head, turned around, looked to keep on going, and the entire pool was just was just spinning around me. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know which direction to go. Next thing I remember is two arms reaching over and under my arms and pulling me out of the water, and it was my coach because he could see that I wasn't quite right at that point. And it, I remember it. it took me probably about a week to feel okay after that. And, and it was a pretty scary thing. So, you know, that really is, if you have to have a cornerstone injury, that's, that's where mine sort of began with.
1: It's funny how you mentioned injuries because I've had a couple of them as a basketball player. Um, I remember my very first injury was an ankle sprain and I've never been injured before that in my life. It was eighth grade, and I was like, this is the worst pain that I've ever felt in my life. Then, I believe sophomore year of college, I actually chipped a piece of cartilage in my knee. So no one really knew what it was. I got an MRI. They saw that it was a chip piece of cartilage. I ended up getting a scope, which was really scary because yeah. I've never had surgery where they put me under. That was another injury that I dealt with. And last year recently, I developed shin splints, which Oof. are terrible. Awful. <laughs> yeah. It got so bad that I literally almost had to wear a boot for like majority of the season yeah. because it was turning into a stress factor. So that was like super, super scary. And like even now, I have to worry about my running and making sure I'm not overdoing it so that my shins don't obviously go back to where they were last year. Yeah. So I mean, injuries are really, really, really taxing. Especially when you have like a whole bunch of them back to back to back.
2: Yeah. So you had an ankle injury in eighth grade, and then you had a knee in high school?
1: In college.
2: In college. And then shin splints. You know, ankle sprains are the number one injury, right? Especially in the sport of basketball. I, I don't know that I've met a basketball player who has not sprained their ankle at some point. But i look at things and i think okay did that initial ankle injury then set you up for all of the other injuries that you you've had there right because if you think about the body as like this long sort of interconnected chain right each piece is reliant on the next piece so as soon as you get a weakness in one segment it can affect something further up it can affect your shins it can affect your knee your back your shoulder and so a lot of times you can't think of injuries as just an isolated incident. They're really there's a lot of overlap, you know, and shin splints for a basketball player, I mean, you're not running in runner shoes. You're you're running in basketball shoes right. that are not designed to run the distance that you guys run in a practice and you're running on a hardwood floor. You're not running outside on a soft track or on a trail or something that's going to give you a little bit of a cushion. So, it's not surprising, not at all. Right. Especially after well, when did you start playing basketball?
1: So I started playing basketball when I was about 13. I kind of started a little late. Okay. Yeah, yeah when I was about 13.
2: Think of the cumulative years now, you know, seven, eight years of playing basketball
0: year round. Right. That's a lot of time on your feet and no shoes. Yeah. Now, as far as the mentality comes, when you face those injuries, Erica, like how, how did you stay focused throughout that? Because I know having an injury kind of, it's a step back and it'll allow you to like kind of refocus and try and figure out how to keep pushing through that. So how did you go about that? What treatment did you seek and how how did that make you feel?
1: So with my knee injury, I was kind of lucky because I got um, surgery in the summertime. So I didn't really miss out much. The rehabilitation period was not too long. I believe it was about maybe four to six weeks where I couldn't really do anything. So that was pretty nice. But in terms of the shin splints, that happened in the middle of our season, which was honestly terrible because I had to walk around in a boot. I had to miss games. And honestly, like, it's hard to stay motivated when you're injured and you really want to be out there on the court. Yeah. And then to make things even worse, COVID hit. So now it's like, I have shin splints. I'm isolated. People are getting COVID. It was just a whirlwind of emotions. And it was really, really, really draining because, you know, there was just so much adversity. And it just felt like we couldn't get over that hump of adversity.
2: Yeah. So you talk about like sort of this cascade of events, right? One thing and then another and then another. And that, I think in the context of injuries, that, that environmental or social context that you bring or, or that you're faced with when you're injured is oftentimes something that people don't think about. It would have been easy for you to say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You know, this stinks. I'm injured. We've got COVID going on there. Um, I'm just going to call it a year, you know, and lay off. But the fact that you were resilient enough through all of that adversity adversity to to sort of change that around and keep going, that says a lot to your individual character, you know. And so following an injury, I think one of the important things you have to think about is, what am i bringing to the table and then what sort of social context do i have around me because both of those things contribute to whether you're going to make it through or not because there's there's a lot of people who probably faced with a similar knee injury and then shin splints probably would have you know called it a a day um and oftentimes we think of those people as being less motivated or they're lazy or they just don't want to do the work but maybe to them that social context that they're faced with is an imbalance it's it's more overwhelming than their individual strength and so i think i think when you think of injuries you have to you really have to look at what am, what am i bringing to the table or what is the athlete bringing to the table and then what else is going on in their life right it's much easier to stick with it if you're having a good basketball season right, right. The, if the team is winning and you're injured and you're out, like that motivation, that personal motivation and the social motivation levels are, are both very high for you to get back in and, and contribute and be part of it. While the opposite is also true. Uh, if you've got high motivation, but the team isn't being successful and you're faced with a lot of challenges, well, maybe then your individual motivation to, to come back right away sort of drops down.
1: And also that actually relates to our team last year as well is that our social motivation and our individual motivation was just not connecting especially because we were also losing games so obviously no one would be happy about that so a lot of people face a lot of like depression and sadness because we're stuck in quarantine every two weeks like we'd go into quarantine for two weeks a week would go by and we'd go right back into quarantine we'd come out and have to practice and then we'd have to play games and then we'd end up losing because we're not in the right shape. We're not in the right condition. Our bodies aren't physically prepared for a 40-minute game. So that, like, our, our team faced a lot of struggles um, going through that whole transition. And that's, again, when injuries started to form because our bodies were just sitting in a room. We weren't working out as we should have. And then we just go straight to a game. So people were rolling their ankles. People had back injuries. Yeah. People just weren't even mentally there. Like, you know, your physical and your mental has to work together and people just weren't mentally there because of the circumstances.
2: Yeah, and that makes sense because when you're when you're faced with those situations where you're not able to train appropriately, you can't have the, the stress on the body, that's when you start to see those overuse injuries, right? Like shin splints, back pain, shoulder pain. Those are just an accumulation of all of these little things where your body isn't strong enough to survive a 40 minute basketball game, you know, running up and down the court. And this really, this, you know, what you bring up there about the, the fact of going in and out of quarantine and facing a lot of sort of mental challenges with this. know, this is a big difference in, I think you have to look at are the athletes, uh, what's their motivation? What's their motivation to perform, right? And we look at motivation in terms of two different things. We look at intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is what we see, right? Here's the here's the championship trophy. Here's the Super Bowl trophy. Here's the parade you're going to go on. And here's your t-shirt. And here's your medal. And those things are extrinsic to the individual. And And what we see is we see a lot of people... Who are extrinsically motivated to succeed I want to win I want my name in the paper I want to win the award I want to be recognized the other one is the intrinsic motivation what do you want inside um, intrinsic motivation is things like I want to get better at a skill I want to be more in shape to play the sport I want to contribute to the team I want to contribute to the win those intrinsic motivation things tend to help athletes a lot more than the extrinsic and i think what you saw is we faced a year of adversity like no other and and when you're quarantined or you're taken away from the sport that you play we've ultimately taken away your extrinsic rewards you can't play games that are out of conference you can't play against some of the teams because games got canceled and so If that was the reason that you were playing and that gets taken away, your motivation to work out and exercise just plummets at that point because you've got nothing driving you. Whereas an athlete who says, you know, I want to stay in shape. I know I'm in quarantine, but I've got to do something in my room. And so then I'm going to start to work out on my own and do as much as I can. That athlete is going to be better suited for success. And they're also going to be more resilient against The negative impacts of all of these other things that you are facing through an athletic year, be it injury, COVID, coaching changes, schedule changes, losses. Motivation comes from a a lot of different places that we have to look at.
0: Going into the aspect of like injuries and the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, when an athlete's faced with heavy injury or like the shin splints or the scope within the knee, how does that intrinsic motivation stay there how do you find an athlete struggling with those situations
2: that's a great question an intrinsically motivated athlete who is also injured what it does is it becomes important to them to heal for the sake of healing to get better i think the way that i approach that sort of thing is what is going to help that athlete get through their rehabilitative exercises, right? If I can see that they're an extrinsically motivated athlete, I'm going to point to the outcomes that they could get to. Look, if you do these exercises and you stick to these treatments, we're going to get you back on the field. You're going to regain your position on the team. You're gonna get your playing time back. You're gonna be able to compete for the postseason awards or playoffs or championship game an intrinsically motivated athlete, I'm going to look at in terms of, look, I want you to get healthy, right? I want your tissue to heal. I want you to be able to walk again. The other things that I use with intrinsically motivated athletes is I try to separate some of the sport outcomes from them. And I talk about things later on in life, like we want to stick through this rehabilitation now because Later on in the life, when you decide to have a family, you want to be able to play with your kids. You want to be able to have a functional life after sport because that's, you know, something that every athlete has to think about. No athlete is able to compete from day one until the day they die. It, there's some point when you retire. And what are you going to do after your retirement? And so finding that intrinsic health motivation is important when you're facing an injury for the intrinsically motivated athlete while looking in the context of sport and outcomes and accomplishments, is going to be more relatable to the extrinsically motivated athlete.
1: So in terms of like an intrinsic and extrinsic motivated athlete, personally, I feel like I could be a mixture of both of them at the same time.
2: Absolutely.
1: Like sometimes, you know, I want to aim for the rewards and aim for like the success. And then at times I also want to focus on the healing process but I feel like sometimes as an athlete it's hard to do both or focus on one when you know you're in the middle of the season and you feel like you're behind or you feel like you know your team needs you or they need you to be out there on the floor so I feel like as a student athlete sometimes mentally we want to just rush our healing process because We're like, if I don't get out there, I won't be able to play professionally. I won't have the opportunity to do that because I won't have film or like I'm letting my team down because I'm not out there on the floor or I'm not doing my part as a team member. But sometimes I have to remember that, you know, in sports, you could do so many other things that can contribute to your team. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be out there with them on the floor, especially like in basketball. You could cheer them on, you could motivate your other teammates during the huddles and I feel like a lot of student athletes forget about those parts because they're also just as important as the physical aspects of the sport.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You, you make a lot of good points. So this, this idea that you don't have to be intrinsic or extrinsic. It's not an either or. Um, think about intrinsic to extrinsic as just this continuum. And everybody is sort of along this line of continuum. It starts with being what we call amotivated. You're not motivated to do whatever that task is, right? I don't want to play basketball anymore. You're amotivated. And then what what typically people follow is they move through this being extrinsically motivated by external rewards, right? Maybe you maybe you're named an all-star or you're the star of the game. You score a basket, right? That's an extrinsic motivation. I've taken the basketball as a young athlete, and I put it through the hoop. I scored. Everyone cheered. Oh my gosh, this is great. I want to get that basketball again, and I want to put it in the hoop because everyone cheers. Or blocking a shot. Oh my gosh, I just blocked the shot. Everyone cheered. So there's an extrinsic reward. So that reinforces your motivation to do it again and again and again. And so the more extrinsic rewards you get, the better it feels, the more you want to practice. Well, at some point, you decide, I want to be a better shooter. I don't want to take the easy shots. I want to learn how to shoot from the corner, which is a hard shot. And so you practice that. But now you're practicing it just for the sake of you getting better. And so now you're working towards that intrinsic motivation of the skill rather than the extrinsic of people cheering once you gain that skill, you make the three-point shot from the corner. It's unbelievable, right? Michael Jordan jumps in the air, he pumps his fist, the crowd goes wild. He is again extrinsically motivated and it it continues to just build. So, I think we have to think about motivation in terms of that no one is one or the other. We we're all a mixture. We also have different motivations depending on the task that we face, right? Your classroom motivations, Erica, are very different from your on-court motivations. You may need an extrinsic motivation in class to get your paper back and see that you've got an awesome grade on it, and that allows you to get motivated to do the next assignment. Whereas in basketball, it may be the intrinsics of you playing, and you just feel like you're into the game, and you're doing it for yourself, and you love it, and you love the way it feels to you know catch someone on a crossover, And, you know, leave their ankle braces back at half court while you're going around them. Like, that's an intrinsic factor. So, again, you have to think about what social context am I facing or what environmental situation am I facing? And how am I motivated? Is it intrinsic or extrinsic? So it's all of these things that sort of play
0: together. As far as it goes within championships, you see a lot of an extrinsic motivation because you received that championship. However, if an individual maybe was injured most of the season and felt as though they weren't participating a whole lot within that championship team, how would you see a player trying to come back and feel as though they can join that team and be motivated to continue to help? Championships are an interesting concept when it comes
2: to motivation. Essentially, that's why people play professional sports, they play college sports, they play high school sports, is, I want a championship. Go to an intramural program. Why are they playing the intramurals? To win the intramural championship. Now this puts people in an interesting context because it is completely about ex- being externally motivated, and now I'm comparing myself to you, right? In the very least, 50% of people are going to lose. You and I race. I'm sorry. I don't know. if I may not look at it in my bow tie, but I am fast. I'm going to beat you, Erica, right? Sorry. So you're going to lose the race. Well, that competitiveness can be a disadvantage because if you enter a situation knowing that you're going to lose and knowing that you have no shot at the championship or winning, that may end up demotivating you. Alternatively, if you know it's going to be a blowout, we're going to say go and you're to the finish line before I even get out of my stance. That may reduce your motivation because you know you can beat me. So you're going to, you know, take your time and uh, I know I can beat Dr. K. He's, He's got no legs. So all of these things come into context. Championships are interesting because I worked with an athlete once who had an injury, had a concussion. My graduate work was in... Uh, using exercise as a rehabilitation from concussion and this was a professional hockey player. And we were having a conversation one day. Uh, it was this athlete was out a long time from sport, but he arrived at the arena and he saw me later that afternoon and he was just all kinds of frazzled. Like he was just he was angry and depressed and he he didn't want to do his exercise that day and he walked in with with a and I'm not kidding you he walked in with a jar of peanut butter and a spoon and he had eaten an entire jar of peanut butter like he was he was just depressed and just doing this stuff and I'm like you can't you can't eat a whole jar of peanut butter that's bad and so I got to the question of so what what caused this and he goes you know I'm just pissed off because I go to the arena to be a part of the team and as I'm walking down the hall everybody's going hey how you doing hey, how you doing? And they're all judging me. Like, why aren't I playing? Why am I out with a concussion? Why am I having these problems? Why haven't I been able to contribute? And I said, well, let's let's look at that situation. If you see somebody you haven't seen in a long time, what do you say to them? Hey, how you doing? Contextually, it means nothing more than, hi, how are you? Right? It means, hey, good to see you. Haven't seen you in a while. It's a common term. But this individual who was injured, took that social cue and flipped it around. He was hearing them say to him, why aren't you playing yet? How are you doing? Why aren't you better yet? How is your rehab going? When all they were saying was, good to see ya. And so here's somebody who is out of the team, but facing a lot of motivational adversity internally. The context around was very socially supportive. The guys were glad to see him. He was glad he was back around. So you have to look at that athlete that's injured and how are they going to approach the situation? And how how might you help guide them to approach it in a positive manner that the teammates want them around? And the things that you mentioned, Erica, about cheering from the bench, being a part of team meetings, coaching younger players, learning. If you can allow an injured athlete to take those pieces and still contribute, or at least still feel part of the group, that becomes important for them when they get to the point that they want to rejoin. When you, let, me, let me ask you a question. When you had your knee surgery and you weren't able to play with the team at that point, did they have you doing exercises or being out courtside while the team was training?
1: Yeah, of course. Anyone who's ever injured usually comes to practice same time, comes to lift same time, watches all the exercises or activities that we're doing. Usually when I was injured, I was on the bike on the side cheering my teammates on, just doing bike workouts. So I was still doing my part in getting back on the court in a sense.
2: Yeah. Did you find, were those good workouts for you when you were on the basketball court next to the team practicing or were those sort of workouts going through the motion?
1: I would say that in maybe in the beginning it was kind of like going through the motions but then you know I had to kind of like dial in and I was like if I continue to go through the motions I'm not going to get better and I'm not going to be able to be on the court with everybody so I picked it up and you know my trainer was great she motivated me a lot to want to get better and to motivate me to be back on the court so I feel like it's a lot has to do with your outside factors A lot has to do with your teammates, your coaches, and your trainers. You know, if you're kind of internally, back to what you said, internally thinking about all the different aspects by yourself, you know, everyone needs support. Everyone needs the support of their teammates. Everyone needs the support of their friends, of their parents. Just support in general. You can't do everything alone, especially when you're injured. You know, your mental just can fade away and you can just completely be demotivated and lose interest in the thing that you love. So I think that... When your teammates are there, you know, talking to you on the side, giving you high fives, or your coaches are like saying, I see you working over there, Eric, on the bike, like I see you over there. And your trainer's like, hey, I see progress from last week to this week. Like you're doing a lot better than you were in the previous weeks. Those little things motivate you to want to continue to go and continue to work hard and continue to want to be on the floor with your teammates. Yeah. So I feel like it's a lot has to do with the outside factors to get somebody who's, you know, a little more internally demotivated to get them to be more motivated. Because a lot of people can't really pick themselves up by themselves. They need people to help them and to pick them up and to, you know, carry them along with them.
2: Yeah. I mean, this, so the idea of you being on the court, doing an exercise on a bike while the team is practicing and the coaches can see you, that's intentional by design. Could you get a better workout one-on-one in a sports performance center or in the athletic training room? Absolutely, right? If I put somebody right on you and we're saying, Erica, pedal faster, pedal harder, let's change resistance, we certainly can. But what we lose out then is we lose out the intangible items of you seeing your team, your team seeing you still working. The coaches know that you're doing something. You know that the coaches recognize you. And this motivational tactic of having an athlete perform their therapeutic exercise while the team is watching, it's all about that keeping you motivated, integrating you into the team, and not losing contact. I think that's a huge part of the injury rehabilitation. A lot of times when athletes start their exercise process, they would often say to me, you know, why do I have to do this on the basketball court? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to ride the bike on the football field? I, You know, I feel like a dummy out here. Everybody's looking at me and judging me and I, you know, you just have to encourage them. Nope. You're, you know, you're here for a purpose. I want you to watch the plays that they're running or learn as much as you can while you're doing your exercise. Do I know they're not getting a great workout? Absolutely. But the mental component of them being there and being seen and seeing others, we can't downplay that in the, in the rehab and recovery of our athletes like that. Again, this is the context. I need to give you some extrinsic motivation watching your team play to help move you along that continuum to become more intrinsically motivated just like you said that you're going to pedal harder to get back to again live up to the standards of the coach and the
0: team and you know re-engage and end up contributing that's perfect as we kind of begin to like wrap up a little bit do you have any recommendations for like a self-help and sports longevity whereas in like the kinesiology aspect of it
2: so this the idea of continuance, or perseverance, or continuing to exercise, continuing to stay physically active, it's all about motivation. You know, we, we talked, we mentioned earlier that all athletes retire at some point. Some retire sooner than others, right? My high school all-star days were long over, and I knew that 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 was my retirement date. Some people go on to play college, and then they retire. Some people are lucky enough, a very small percentage are lucky enough to play at the professional ranks. But at some point, they make the decision to retire. What we have to think about is when we take away those extrinsic values of being around a team, winning a game, winning a race, winning a championship, what's gonna keep us engaged in sport and physical activity? The more that we can move down the continuum towards being intrinsically motivated, the greater our chances are of maintaining a compliance with an exercise or a physically active lifestyle. Doing so just to enjoy your body moving, Knowing what it feels like when you're running or when you're playing basketball, feeling the joy of connecting on a pass, skating down the ice, all of those things are what's going to keep someone physically active throughout their lifespan. Exercise programs have about a 50% adherence rate. So one out of two people are going to give up exercising at some point, or they're going to change programs, or they're going to struggle with it. And I think. The more that you can dial in with what do you really enjoy yourself about the sport or activity, whether it's running or lifting weights, the more that you can do to intrinsically motivate yourself, the greater your chances of maintaining physical activity, exercise and sport throughout your life.
1: I definitely agree that it is more intrinsically motivated, especially the longer you get into your sport. I know, like, I've had friends where we were in high school and they were like, I hate working out. Like, I hate having to wake up early in the morning and having to lift. And I'm like, come on, this is so much fun. And then as you get older, you realize, hmm, I am tired of waking up at 7 (laughs) a.m. It's so exhausting. But I guess, like, the love that you have for it, you know, drives you to continue to play, continue to work out or continue to run or continue basically to stay active. So I definitely think that that plays a important role in, you know, staying active and working out in longevity for your lifetime.
2: Erica, I think I think that you said the key intrinsic word It's three letters. Fun. If you can find something that you find fun and enjoyable, you are intrinsically motivated to make that fun and have that happen again. Once you get to that point, it's all cookies and milk, man. You're set. That was awesome.
1: <laughs> well, it was so nice having you and speaking to you on the show. Thank you so much for coming.
2: And thanks for having me. I, I could go on to this for hours and hours. So just, just uh, yeah, thanks for having me.